We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Alyssa. Y'all can be seated. Uh, friends, it's so good to be with you today. As Carrie mentioned during her welcome, we're in a series called Throwback, and so we're kind of revisiting some of these songs from from our past and the, the ones that kind of touched our hearts and remind us of moments in our lives. And so it's just been really special to hear these songs and to kind of re-examine what they're saying. I mentioned this every week that uh, Augustine said, when you sing, you pray twice. And also in the kind of Methodist family where, where we sing what we believe, we're a singing church. That's kind of how the Methodists have identified for a long time. And so we sing what we believe and then it forms us and shapes us. And so this week we're talking about that song that we just sang, Mighty to Save, and kind of what it teaches of us about who God is. And then if we're a, a church, if we're a community that kind of comes together around who that God is, uh, that mighty to save God, what that means for us, how that identifies us as well. And so uh, we're in the prophet um, Zephaniah today, short kind of overlooked prophet uh, in the Old Testament. So here are these words from the third chapter of Zephaniah, starting in verse 14, it says this, sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He'll renew you in his love. He'll exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with your oppressors at that time and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home at, that, at the time when I gather you for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before, before your eyes, says the Lord. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we don't quite know what we say when we talk about you. Our words fall short. Our praise often feels empty. Sometimes it feels fake and inauthentic because we know you're so much greater than we could ever imagine. Nevertheless, utter who you are. And so in this moment, just give us the right words to give you praise. Draw our attention to you. Humble us by who you are. Lift us up by who you desire to be in us. Show us your face in this moment. That we might sing aloud, that we might shout with praise, that we might exalt you and honor you for who you are, specifically in the person of Jesus. Help us see that you came to be with us, that you longed to be with us, and you long to be with us even now, in this moment, through these words, at this table, in this place. We praise you with what we have, with what we can say, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, friends, like I said, it's so good to be with you. And if you want to take a moment, as Carrie uh, offered at the beginning, to check in uh, and let us know that you're here today so we can let you know what's going on in the life of this community. We'd love to connect with you, especially as summer turns into fall and things kind of turn up a little bit where we can get people connected and invite you to be part of events that we're having and just connect you and your family and those that you love to be a part of this community. We'd love to be in contact with you during the week. Um, but again, just so, so good to be with you this morning, especially during this series. Really, truly, these songs, I'm like standing back there and uh, somebody came up to me, Matthew, he was saying that he was reminded of like way back in the day as a child, hearing uh, one of those songs in, in worship and it kind of just takes you back in that moment. And I, I was taken back too, you know, thinking about my youth group experience and my, my youth pastor, Alan, and then my youth pastor, Rufus, real name. Uh, real person, not making it up. Uh, and kind of, they both had musical ability and talent and the, the, the way that they would sing and the songs that they would choose. And then me kind of stepping into trying to learn the guitar and sing too. And a couple of those songs we play today have this really vivid memory of us not having a click track and a gifted drummer. And so by the, by the end of them, we'd be like, like um, fast rapping the words, you know, uh, because we would speed up because we were so excited and, and not rhythmically gifted. And so I was reminded in that moment, like, oh, let's speed up. And it's, it's exciting. It's energizing. And it's reminding me of that, of that time in my life. And so I've been grateful for this series and hope that uh, even if these songs, maybe you don't, maybe you don't know them, that they've still had an impact on you just by their content. Uh, as I've been going through this series, I've kind of seen a common thread through all of these sermons about God's character being both a few weeks ago big and small. He's a creator of the universe and yet he's so close. And then last week we kind of talked about how this same God comes to be with us in our high points and our low points, which I described as our <laughs> Barbie and our Oppenheimer. <laughs> uh, saw Oppenheimer, haven't seen Barbie yet, so I'm in my low point, you know. <laughs> uh, it's not going to come out in the sermon, I promise. We're going to be excited as we leave here today. We're not going to feel down in, you know, three hours. I went at 10 p.m. and I was like, whoa, I got out at like 1.15. Anyway, not about Oppenheimer. This isn't about me. Um, but also, as I've been preparing these sermons, not just about thinking about how all these, uh, all these scriptures point to who God is and God's character and then what that means for us practically, but of course, as I already described, it's taken me back to times when I was a kid and just kind of amped up this quality I already have, and my wife can attest to this, that I'm just a nostalgic person. And I'll just remember things. I, I can't remember like the copier code at work, but I can remember what happened to me in July of 2004 or something, you know, I have these really specific memories. And I think most of us are like that, these things that are just drilled into our memory. And one of those things was, I have a relative who is uh, engaged to be married to a guy from New York City. And she was from a small town in Arkansas like me, and he was from New York City, but he was really kind and, and by all accounts, um, uh, just a really good person. Spoiler alert, not in really any bad reason. They decided not to get married. They made the kind of mature choice that it wasn't the right time for them to get married, and she's married to someone else now, and it's great. But we had an engagement party for them, her family and, and all the family in Arkansas, and his family from New York City came. And uh, we were talking to them and getting to know them. And one of them, I want to say it was his mom, the, the person engaged to my relative, he said to my dad, uh, or she said to my dad, do you know what a bagel is? <laughs> and I know now why that memory is so drilled into my mind. Because 
I feel weird talking about the Enneagram without Pastor Michelle being here, but I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 5, like live in the mind, uh, kind of head-driven person. It's a kind, generous way of saying neurotic. Uh, And the deep fear of an Enneagram 5 is to feel incompetent or condescended. And I think that's drilled in my mind because I wanted to say, but I was a kid and I'm like, yeah, we know what a bagel is, you know? And my mom and dad still bring this up all the time. Like, remember that time that guy asked us if we knew what a bagel was? And it is kind of condescending. Like, do you Hicks from Arkansas? Like, I'm surprised you're wearing shoes. Do you know what a bagel is? And it's one of those things I look back like, I wish I would have said this or I wish I would have responded like this. It's not productive, but it's like, oh man, I really wish I would have leaned into it and put on an accent I don't have, like, a bagel, what? You know, you boil them? That's a donut, that's not a bagel, what are you talking about? You know, I'm like kind of, but too late now, long gone, they're not married, I'm never gonna see these people again. But it, I mean, I have so many of this collection of memories where someone talked down to me. Um, and I, you know, it's just a kind of growth and maturity in my life, okay, like, Some people are just gonna be condescending. And also, sometimes people aren't condescending. I just like start out with that assumption (laughs) that they're gonna talk down to me. Um, Because it is my deepest fear, I I think about it a lot. And and I remember in my first church in Arkansas, I was talking about uh, the incarnation, about how Jesus comes to be with us and it's God in the flesh, Christians have wanted to say. And truly, it's condescension, it's condescending. And this person, Sherry, she did not like that because we connote condescension negatively. But really, literally, when we break the word down, it's with descending. It's descending to be with, to be on the same level. And the reason we have a negative connotation with it is because assumed when another person condescends you or is patronizing to you, they're like, I gotta go down to be on this person's level. I'm gonna go be with them. And so it's like, I'm gonna come down from my high place and talk to you on your dumb, silly, ignorant place, you know? Do you know what a bagel is? Another one of those memories that's drilled into my mind is I was trying to describe this deep fear of feeling incompetent and dumb in front of other people uh, to some colleagues of mine, and my therapist at the time had given me a tool to kind of describe this, and I was drawing it on the whiteboard, and I had tried to write the word incompetent, and I spelled it wrong. Like, my personal nightmare came true. It's like, I'm trying to describe how horrible it is to feel incompetent in front of someone else, and I spelled incompetent wrong, (laughs) you know? (laughs) To condescend horizontally, me to you, you to me, you with your neighbor, you with your spouse, you with somebody you work with, whatever else, it's bad because it assumes you come from a place and you're going down to a place. But then just to kind of give the conclusion early, For God, it's good news because we acknowledge in all the songs we sing today that God comes from a high place, like we talked about creator of the universe two weeks ago, to the creation. He comes from holy, 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 other than we are, to near us in the person of Jesus. He he comes from from moral high ground, we might want to say, and if, if you want to take that, I'd say like unchristian view, but at least a kind of maybe an extreme helpful view to say comes to a place of like moral low ground, like God's so good and I'm garbage. And then Christians say stuff like that sometimes, but it's, it's not exactly that. It's God comes from a place where he is to be with us in Jesus. And that's the good news of Christianity, really just kind of 
in a microcosm, that God came to be with us. John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, reported final words, the best of it all is God is with us. That's the last sentence. That's the, that's the culmination. That's the conclusion of the Christian faith. God condescended, came to be with us from one place to another, and not temporarily and not for fun, but out of God's great love for us, came to be with us. And another common thread that actually through this series and other series that we've been drawing is this, this story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation isn't like kind of atomized and broken up like in this story, God's kind of like this and in this story, God's kind of like that. But we want to draw a common thread that like the, the God of Jesus was the same God in the Old Testament and we get these hints, these glimpses, this peek at God's character from the Old Testament that is culminated in the person of Jesus and we find one of those peaks in Zephaniah today. Uh, in preparing this week, there's this beautiful moment uh, in writing a sermon where I, I look at the upcoming weeks when I'm writing, and I'm like, who picked this? It's me. Uh, because as I was looking for things about Zephaniah, I was like, man, I've never preached on Zephaniah. And in my Googling, I discovered no one else has either. <laughs> uh, it would have been wise. So, okay, here, this is just me in my growth. I feel incompetent for picking this, you know, uh, because it occurs this phrase two times in the Old Testament, once in Zephaniah, and then once, of course, in like the most quoted Old Testament book, Isaiah. Uh, but I picked the Ze Zephaniah one. Uh, not a lot of resources out there, but the phrase is the same. If you look at verse 17, the Lord your God is in your midst, and then in NRSV, the translation we read from here, a warrior who gives victory. And about half the other English translations say, mighty to save, from which we get the words that we sing in this song. And again, in Isaiah, God is mighty to save. Mighty Gabor, we call it, God is mighty God. Jesus actually uses this identifier in the New Testament to refer to himself, that he is El Gabor, mighty God. And then Yassah is the, the Hebrew verb here, uh, that here is translated gives victory, but it's Sal salvation, to save, to preserve, actually. And often it connotes something when it talks about a shepherd saving a sheep or talks about a, a, a mother saving her child or, or a, kind of a lord, a master, saving someone who works for him. It's a stooping down. It has spatial movement to it. That, that to Yassah, this great God, this, this victorious warrior God to Yassah in just those two words is a God who goes from one place of status to another, who goes from the safety of the shepherd's home to the pasture, who goes from the, the safety of tall and strong stature to the stature of a, of a baby, who in, in the promise all the way back in Leviticus, and then, it, and then it points forward into the New Testament of this God who says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will walk among you that that promise was fulfilled to walk among you. Just think about it. The very first culmination of that promise was, was culminated in Jesus as a baby. We have this excitement about a baby taking its first steps. That promise of God that he would be with us was fulfilled in the same way. And that same sort of excitement bubbles up. I learned this week, and I, I know I should know this, but kind of refreshing for myself, that, that Zephaniah, this prophet, um, it's in thirds, it's a really short book of the Bible, just three chapters, we read the very end of it. 
And it's kind of divided into thirds. Even though the chapter and verse numbers were added much later, we can see evidence in and of itself of it being kind of divided into three parts. And the first two parts, one part is about God's anger and judgment toward all the nations. They've kind of strayed and they're oppressing people and they're stepping on the backs of the poor to build these communities and they're, they're not treating one another with kindness and love. This promise given to Abraham in the beginning that this, then this nation would bless all nations so they would be good and wise and holy. And then you can imagine reading it and then it, 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 it turns to Israel, God's people, and he's like, these apply to you too, actually. Um, you've not been who you're supposed to be and you've gone off course. And Zephaniah, we try to understand that he was sharing this prophecy, these words to a king, Josiah, who was actually a pretty good king in the grand scheme of things, and tried to reorient the life of God's people to, to go back on course, to kind of purify their religious life, to get them back in a place of, of holiness and good standing before God. And Zephaniah and some of the other prophets actually then proclaimed to Josiah and the people after Josiah, it's kind of too late. There's no, there's no correcting course. There's no reversing what's already happened. Now it's just about limiting the damage that you've caused for yourself. But then Zephaniah uniquely and beautifully, the, the last third of his poetry given to this people who are off course and kind of have no hope and have every reason to think like, oh no, we've really messed this one up, turns and, and, and this, this punishment or this, this negative outlook on life is then reversed in these last verses, sing aloud. So like, you're, you're on a course for destruction, you kind of set this up for yourself, you pointed yourself in this direction, and this is where it leads, and then a command, sing aloud. <laughs> o daughter Zion, o sh shout, O Jerusalem. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. Now, why would I want to do any of that? <laughs> if we're charted for a course of self-destruction, why would I shout and rejoice? Because the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, O Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, he's with you, mighty to save. Gabor, mighty. You saw stoops low, condescends to be with you. You can change your outlook. You know, when we, when we condescend, we, we lower and then often we, we feel foolish because on the way up, we bonk our heads. Like we realize, like, I, I talked to that person in a way I shouldn't have, or I treated them this way they shouldn't. But God, in, in who God is, and God's character, he stoops down to be with us, and then he doesn't leave. He stays stooped down. He stays mighty, and then he also stays as the one who saves. Where I want to land for that is it's not just like a kind of esoteric sort of thing that we're like, okay, this is God's character, this is who God is, but it actually applies to then the Israelites in Zephaniah, and then likewise through to the person of Jesus, and then all throughout church history to us here today in Houston, in our time. You're like, okay, if this is the God of Jesus, if this God is mighty to save, if he is both high and low, if he's with us in our both high points and our low points, if, if, if his character is one who says, okay, you don't have to despair, you actually have hope, you have a horizon, you have something to believe in, there's light at the end of the tunnel, what does that mean for us? And I think, I think it kind of transfers to three broad facets of the Christian life, of the communal life. The first one is our, our prayer life. Bethany Allen is a, a pastor in Portland and she kind of describes her conversion experience and one of the, the biggest obstacles was prayer. 
there's this puzzle of what it means to pray. And in this puzzle, she said that she was suspicious of people who prayed a lot. It felt like a waste of time. But then she said, if you know who God is, you can't help but pray a lot. Because then you see that this God who's mighty to save, who's so other than we are and stoops low to be with us, that's part of innate to his character, why wouldn't you pray to that God? Because you'd say, look how sorry my state is right now. <laughs> Aren't you the God who's mighty to save? Aren't you the God who, who leaves the 99 to go after the one? Aren't you the God who's in a high place but longs to be in a low place with us? Aren't you the God who took on flesh and didn't become enthroned and crowned uh, on a throne with a, this shiny crown but on a cross with a crown of thorns? Aren't you that God? Why wouldn't you pray? It transforms our prayer. Well, and it transforms our mission too. That is to say, it transforms how we talk about it to other people, especially at a time when it's like not cool to be, you know, super religious. And I say that not as like, I don't have a persecution complex. I think that's silly. But, but to, to then to say to people like, yeah, actually I do, I do believe this is who God is and this is what it means for me to share that with somebody else takes a lot of courage. And it reminds me of, of Tim Keller who his, his first church in Virginia, he met these two sisters uh, and one, by their own estimation, was like the good sister and one was the bad sister. <laughs> one was the successful one and one was the abject failure of the family. And this is like extreme, but this is how they self-perceived. And he shared who Jesus was with the bad sister and her life changed and she became a Christian and started going to church. And she told her older sister, the good sister, and her older sister, the good sister said, it can't be that easy, especially for you. <laughs> Out of her self-perception, she was, she was able to experience that, okay, uh, I, I'm low, I'm, I'm a failure, I, 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 I don't know what to do, I'm, I'm unsalvageable, I can't be saved. And then hearing about this God, this mighty to save God, it changed her life. And then likewise, it changed the older sister's life because if you think you're so mighty and you confront the one who truly is mighty, it humbles you. God is an equal opportunity offender. <laughs> you think you're big and bad and important? Uh, the good news is you're not the biggest and baddest and most important. <laughs> and if you're feeling like you're not worth anything, we have the good news that Jesus came to be with us and to you specifically to say, actually, no, by virtue of my very presence with you, I'm saying you're worth dying for. You're worth coming to be with. You're worth changing my status to be with you, mighty to save. And third, kind of the hardest one when we think about just kind of the arc of the, the, the timeline of our universe is, is it transforms how we think about justice in the world. How more than just our interpersonal relationships, how we think about community and cities and societies and nations all throughout history. Of like, have the, the people who follow this mighty to save God, have they had any impact? And in the moment, it's hard to see, but in the past, it's really this sharp and clear who really follows this mighty to save God. And people in our own tradition, Jarena Lee and Richard Allen, who's kind of the father of the AME church, who stood in the face of people who said, you're not deserving of coming to this table. Who started movements and said, actually, no, we're gonna have, we're gonna have the table that you think you have. We're gonna, we're gonna come to worship anyway. We know that we're made in God's image. Or we think about pastors like uh, Samuel Fielden, who was actually at the Haymarket riot, who, who encountered this, this movement of people who were saying, you know, we're treated like we're just cattle and that we're not worth anything. And his sermon, his preaching, his teaching set off then this, 
event that happened that actually drew people's attention to the worth of workers and laborers in their society? Because God is mighty to save, because he lifts up the lowly and the oppressed, because true and pure religion is this, James says, to care for the orphan and the widow in their distress, because mighty doesn't mean might makes right. Mighty means power under, influence, to be with, to walk alongside the lowest and the most marginalized people, not to uh, do something for them, but to do something with them. Uh, What does it mean to be then, for us, for branches, to be uh, a mighty to save people, a mighty to save uh, God before us, a mighty to save Jesus? What does it mean to worship him and to, to center then our religious life, our spiritual life, our family life around him? Judd Wilhite is a pastor in the Las Vegas area, a mega church pastor, not really kind of in the circles that I typically walk in, uh, but I saw him speak at a conference one time, and he described early on in the life of his church uh, that they were just growing like crazy, and so many people were coming, and it was a really, really exciting time, and he got too big for his britches. (laughs) He felt really self-important and proud. And he was like, you know, for Easter, let's have it at the MAC, this stadium at UNLV, and we're gonna call Easter, pack the MAC. (laughs) And the Sunday before Easter, was their worst attendance ever. Uh, And he was like, oh no, (laughs) I've named this event for next week, Pack the Mac. (laughs) What if it doesn't happen? He's actually walking around in the stadium and and the seats are empty and he's like, what if on Sunday morning on Easter it's just like that? And then on Easter they did Pack the Mac. And I say all this just to say, this is not about church attendance or anything like that, but just in a moment, we can go from feeling like we're on top of the world to being in the lowest spot. And God is for every one of those people in every one of those situations. God is both mighty at the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And I can say from my own personal experience as as recently as last week, sometimes intermixed, that things are going so well and I feel like I could be really proud of it, but also internally just feel like nothing, not worth saving, not worth going after certainly not worth being stooped down to and talked to with baby talk that I could understand from a God who loves me. Feel ignored or not important or like I can't get up. And I just wanna say like openly, whatever, whatever you're going through, whatever experience you've brought into this place today, and, and maybe you resonate with that, that it's intermixed, that like things are going really well at work or at home, but then internally you feel awful or actually you feel great, but everything else externally that your circumstances don't feel great, All of that to say, truly, from the beginning words of that song, everyone needs compassion, the kindness of a savior, and the kindness of that savior, the kindness of a God who is mighty to save, is the one who says, I'll meet you in your highs and I'll meet you in your lows, and and I'll, I'll humble you in your highs, and I'll lift you up in your lows that I am mighty to save, I am Gabor, I'm mighty, and I also stoop down, I'm gonna condescend to you. I don't care if you know what a bagel is. (laughs) I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you. And for all of us, like, maybe our challenge this week is to say, like, I need to be, whatever situation I'm in, to be offended, confronted, pushed on, challenged by this God, whether I'm feeling really, really high, for God to say, like, you're not as big and bad as you think you are, if I'm in my lowest low to say, I'm with you and you're worth saving and you're worth being with. Because God is both high and low. 
God is both mighty Gabor and one who yasas, who stoops low to be with us wherever we are. And, and, and maybe it is intermixed or maybe it's really sharply one or the other. The good news is, the best news of it all is, God is with us. Mighty God, mighty to save, Gabor God is with us. And thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. God, you are mighty to save. When we feel undeserving of it, you remind us of our value in you. When we ignore it because we feel really good about ourselves, you remind us about your goodness and it outshines ours. We're reminded of your holiness and how far and other you are, but yet how close and with us you are. Wherever we've come from in this place, whatever our situation is, whatever our heart is speaking in this moment, hear it and meet us in it. Confront us, comfort us, draw near to us, speak to us. We're listening. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.